I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Double Clutch NBA Podcast. I'm Matthew Wellington, one of your usual hosts. I'm joined tonight by Joe Halbert. Hi Matt, how's it going? I'm very well, and we've got Mike Miller. By the way, I kicked MJ's ass. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. They're getting too normal. Yeah, I know. One day you're going to have to break out of routine and do something else. Uh, well, I've only done it like... I got bored of saying <laughs> hello for like three seasons. Oh dear. How's everybody's uh, week been since the last pod? Which I wasn't on, I have to admit. I've I've been a bit of a letdown the uh, month of... What is it? November. <laughs> month of November. <laughs> yeah, I've been let down November. It, it's been good. I, I don't know what more to say than that. Which is really, <laughs> really good considering we've got to talk and entertain. Apart from when Google's been tracking you in your yes, Google's strange... freaking me out with how well it tracks me and tells me where my car's parked, and I'm just not asking for it and don't want it. Please leave me alone, Google. It is. It's a bit worrying. Joe, what about you? Yeah, I'm loving the post Jimmy Butler era. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just nice to enjoy your team playing again, even if they're not very good, but they're fun. That's what matters. And I noticed you're a Southern believer in Robert Covington. I didn't realise he was this good. Like, <laughs> he's like. He's just out there marking four people at once. It's crazy. Unbelievable. He's doing the business. Right, anyway, uh, we've got a quick little recap of the past week and then we're going to get onto some some of the bigger topics. We will, of, cover, of course, cover the the Warriors' struggles, which obviously started with the whole uh, Draymond KD thing, which everybody's talked to death, but we will t- t- uh, touch on it briefly and then go on to actually discussing um, their general struggles. Then we've got Butler's impact on the Sixers and how that's affected Ben Simmons because that's been quite obvious the past week, certainly the games that we've watched. And then we're going to discuss probably Dave Yeager's hot seat and the funny situation going on in Sacramento because despite playing pretty well, they're still not very happy, which sums that organisation up, I think. So anyway, the past week we've had, well, we had a, a, an outburst from Kyrie Irving, 43 points against the Raptors in overtime the other night. That was a great game, apart from the fact that it was on Sky Sports and I think they cut off the overtime. Which was obviously yeah, a little bit annoying. For a re- if, I, if I recall the tweet correctly, it was for a rerun of a 2009 MotoGP race. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know... Wasn't like a Super League Grand Final or something? <laughs> probably. That, that, that's that sport that only Northerners play. Sorry. Premier, um, League, Premier League years, probably. Yeah. No, that was a bit of a shame. Um, as always, we do tell everybody that the best way to watch the NBA is to use League Pass. But um, Sky have done some great stuff this year, obviously the live coverage and the, the games on Twitter. But yeah, that was a little bit of a sore point. I'd imagine you'd been pretty pissed off if you were up at that time in the morning watching that game. Um, I wasn't, um, so it didn't affect me, but it did affect quite a few people on Twitter. And we did see people tweeting about it using the hashtag NBA in the UK. And we, yeah, we, we, saw the, we saw the rage that morning. But Kyrie had 11 straight points for Boston down the stretch towards 17 in the last eight minutes of the fourth quarter. And then he basically assisted on everything after that. He was phenomenal, and it was the Kyrie Irving that we've kind of been looking for all season. Gordon Hayward still looks a bit like he's working his way into form. I noticed he's part of that second rotation unit now, so obviously the Brad Stevens is trying to work out something there. But the Celtics seem to be a bit hit and miss at the moment. We had 60 points from Kemba Walker, which was crazy. He obviously heard the podcast we did a couple of weeks ago where we were saying that he was you know needed a breakout year and was going to be a trade target and I, he he had an explosion against Philly the other day but unfortunately um I think Jimmy Butler crushed his his soul a little bit at the end there yeah, yeah the quote I loved was uh, from Butler about 
ending the game was I had to stop him from getting 70. Uh, <laughs> it kind of made me chuckle a bit, considering Butler is considered to be a, a stopper. A few times, Kemba just made him look silly, the way he was just... He didn't, couldn't keep up with him as he was curling round uh, various angles and cuts. Um, yeah, I was a little bit... That was Jimmy's fault. I opinion. was very impressed with the aggressiveness of Jeremy Lamb that game. Like he was just any time he had the opportunity to go and score, and he was doing it. Even right at the end, like towards the the final few minutes of the fourth quarter, when you'd just expect them to go to Kemba, he took it on himself and and scored some of the the clutch buckets. But yeah, Kemba Walker was phenomenal that game, hitting threes from all over the place. And I think he was twenty one of thirty four from the field in the end, which is. Phenomenal. On to Hugh Hopkins Spurs. They are, I think, the undeniable mid-range kings at the moment. <laughs> if if this past week is anything to show by, not only did they beat the Dubs last night, but they have got two of the best mid-range shooters in the league right now. Um, and everyone at the start of the year was kind of questioning how the hell could the Spurs survive on an offense that was built around two players who, you know, two prolific mid-range shooters. And it, they're, they're doing pretty well at the moment. So I don't think anyone's complaining there. Well, they are mid-range in the conference as well. Let's not get too overhyped. They're they're still true. But I think they're better than people expected them to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got no. Yeah, they are. They're, they're considering <laughs> what they've lost uh, and the transition phase they've been in from their glory years. They are doing incredibly well, and that's a testament to the way the franchise is run, as always. Yeah, I say. guess I guess Aldridge and DeRozan just absorb so much of that defensive pressure that it opens up the floor for everybody else. Because Patty Mills has been pretty great this year, Bryn Forbes has, has stepped up, and you know there's some good guys on that bench who are who are shining who are shining the last few weeks. But yeah, I win against the Warriors last night, which we'll get onto later. LeBron moved on to fifth in all-time scoring, scored 44 against the uh, the Blazers. On Wednesday night, I wrote a little article about that and how it kind of proves to me that I think he's probably the most impactful player to ever have played the game. Um, I know that's one that's up for debate, but he yet again, was it 51 again last night? Um, 51 Miami last Heat, night. Ridiculous which 51 also, well. Yeah, it saw Josh Richardson throw his shoe into the stand as well, which is quite amusing. <laughs> I liked the, uh, the dunk on Ingram where he turned around and said, oh, I will knock your ass out to someone. <laughs> brilliant it's a good attitude to have for getting dunked on yeah but yeah another another crazy week in in la la land um luka Doncic has been putting on a show i mean the way he's playing you'd be it'd be difficult to take the rookie of the year away from him but he obviously led them to a win over the warriors of the night albeit a short-handed warriors we'll discuss in a minute but 24 points including the short jumper that put dallas in front right at the end that was a fantastic game to watch even if you went and watched a condensed game on League Pass, it was it was full of emotion if you didn't know what the score was. Um, but at 19 years of age, he's just he's phenomenal. He's he's getting rid of all these questions about whether Europeans could come in and do this or whether he was too young. Yeah, I mean Durant had 34 that night, but he was one of seven shooting from three. Clay had 22, but he did not look himself. The Warriors are a little bit of a mess, and obviously we will get onto the Warriors. But just on Luca at the moment, I mean, how impressed have you guys been? I mean, I know obviously Joe, you mentioned it last week but Mike what have you been thinking well you know what I'm I'm really surprised that someone who's never played competitive basketball in America is doing so well because you know there is no other quality leagues around the world um so this guy it's just, just unbelievable well come on now the guy's like the youngest ever EuroLeague MVP he was just phenomenal last season playing against grown men he was gonna be good I think we did we pick rookie of the year before the season started because I was 
I, I would have I picked remember. it. I I thought we had, but I might be lying. And if I if I am, then I've made it up. But I'm sticking with it. Um, he's he is the rookie of the year already. I, it's going to take a hell of a lot from DeAndre Ayton to get near it. And then other than that, there's not really. I think it's a two horse race to be honest, and that's probably quite a general observation and not not like it's very high level, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's, he he's. In there, he's going to get a lot of reps. He's at a franchise which are ready to hand the reins over to him, despite all the talk about whether DeAndre Jordan is freezing him out. What is that even all about? How does DeAndre Jordan get the ball <laughs> enough to freeze someone out? Well, he did, he did push Donkic out of the way for a rebound the other week. Well, that's just DeAndre Jordan full stop, isn't it? He needs a rebound. It's the only thing he gets paid for. True. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, I, I I saw an incredible stat on it. I think it's nbamath.com about Luca. I mean, it said that he's, in his 19th... At age 19, he's averaging 20.7 points a game, 7 rebounds, 4.5 assists per 75 possessions. Now, since 1973 to 74, there have been 86 seasons from 31 players that hit all three of those marks. No one has ever done it as a teenager. It's the efficiency it's... with him. Like, if you compare him to someone like Trey Young, who has been yeah. pretty good, by the way. He has. He's, he's not been efficient. I think he's shooting under 30% from three. Doncic is... By far, I think he's already their best player. That was something that when we did the uh, Southwest pod, I wasn't quite expecting that. I thought sort of Barnes, Matthews, and Jordan would be better, but he's like, he's outplaying all of them. And the interesting thing is, he's not actually playing well with any of them. He seems to play better with the younger players, which I think is good news for Dallas because when these guys, these old guys, move on, you've got a guy who can play well with other players who can run the floor. It's exciting times in Dallas. Yeah, and he's he's full of confidence. Like in, even in the early opening shots of that game of the other night, he was taking threes. You know, with Kevin Durant draped all over him, and the, yeah, good performances from young players. Maxi Kleber with a, a hell of a block towards the end as well. But anyway, moving on to the uh, the Golden State Warriors and their struggles. I mean, they went zero for zero in Texas, um, which is impressive because you'd expect them to beat Dallas and you'd probably expect them to beat Houston, but um, they they failed to do both of those. They obviously failed to beat San Antonio again last night in a 104-92 loss. But yeah, the dubs are a little bit of a mess. Now this goes back to last weekend, I see. No, yeah, last weekend where and they basically played the Clippers and it all came down to the final shots at the end of regulation and Draymond Gein caught the rebound and ran down the court and decided not to pass it to Durant, who was actually calling for the ball all the time. Um, go back and watch the video. It's pretty evident that Durant wanted that ball. There was a load of spaffing that went on throughout that game, and then apparently it all continued into the locker room, and it involved uh, Durant reportedly shouting, you're a bitch, and you know you're a bitch. And then it reportedly, Draymond said that, we don't need you, we won without you, leave. Uh, there's video evidence of Durant mouthing, saying he was, this is why I'm going or something. Uh, there's, so the Joe, video evidence was like, this is why I'm out. Yeah. And then there's arguments that this is why I'm out here, like on the court, as in, I'm out here because <laughs> you give me the ball. Uh, I didn't realise who called whom what in, in that. <laughs> it's crazy. Sorry, you're, carry on. You're, you're a bitch and you know you're a bitch. <laughs> who, who said that? Because I thought that was Draymond said that. Draymond, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah Draymond. Oh, okay. um, Joe Lacobs got involved and said that the organisation isn't favouring one, uh, one over the other. Having fined um, one of them 120 grand and... Yeah, and suspending them for a game. But yeah, I mean, it's, if you're the Warriors, then your future is Durant. But I don't think you can underestimate how important uh, Draymond Green's been to the success of this team. I know it's something that Joe wants to talk about as well. Having seen your defense of him in the Slack chat earlier on, Mister Holbert, that was some great yeah, Draymond they... Green defense, by the way, there, Joe. <laughs> I know. I 
he's um he's my guy he has been since he entered the league um i didn't expect him to be as good as he has been but i kind of liked his tape at michigan state i saw him as like a bench big he's obviously he's obviously um blown that out of the water he's on like a hall of fame trajectory in my opinion just because of the defense but they have made a royal error finding him in my opinion i think they've made more of it than it had to be i bet you if you go in any locker room in any sport after a game especially after a loss to a team that you really should be beating and if you go into the you know the real madrid or the new england patriots locker room you're going to see stuff like that all the time because these guys want to win so badly and just i you know lacob said we've not picked one over the other for me they have um I would have personally not find either of them. I think it's just one of those things that unfortunately in the age of social media has all been caught on camera. There's For me, there's nothing to it. But the reason I defended Green was, and this is probably going to surprise a lot of people, it may surprise you too, I would keep him over Durant. They won, people forget, they won 73 games about Kevin Durant. Now, I know they lost the title, but that was only because Harrison Barnes missed every shot he took in I think in six and seven <laughs> and green uh, and green got suspended for some nut shots yeah yeah nut green shots. doesn't get suspended they likely win that so it's just what green has made possible is just that those small ball lineups of death and my opinion is obviously Iguodala is huge to that but you can stick any decent shooter at the three and that is still a deadly lineup because their best player is Steph Curry I realize I've just put two kind of big takes in there that that I would choose Green over Durant and that Curry is their best player. But Green has made this team possible. They're the only team who can play small and still match up to bigs in the post because he just doesn't he doesn't get beaten. The only guy about to beat him is like Anthony Davis, but like you can't knock someone for being beaten by him. So I want to get your guys. I mean, am I crazy to say I would take Green over Durant at this point? I don't think it's crazy at all, to be honest. And that's that's really sort of tempering a hot take, but um, you're, you're you're absolutely right. They they won before he get got there, and I understand that. Yes, they lost that seventy three and nine season against a, a, in a game seven with a Kyrie Irving late three to win it. You can't get much closer than that. I think this whole situation with the Warriors right now is a testament to underscore why Curry is the best player on this team. Like he might not individually be the best guy to have in a one-on-one in which case you'd take Durant because he can still score from pretty much anywhere and he's got an extra foot on on Curry but in terms of how this team runs when Curry's on the floor and just the amount of benefit other players get just by his presence it's just insane like for for me you, you can give Durant the MVPs in the finals it's still Curry's team and he's still the guy that makes that team tick yeah, and it's the overall impact that Steph Curry and we've discussed it before, like that he has had on the game that makes him the best player on that team. Like Durant came from a situation in Oklahoma where you know he was one of two guys, was probably the guy, never quite got on with Russell Westbrook. Like they went to the finals, they obviously lost to a very young team back then. They had three MVP future MVPs on that roster. That was all. They all went into history very fairly quickly. But he's come over here with a mentality of. I want to win and he, you know luckily enough he's joined four other guys and you know Iguodala and all these other blokes on the bench that have effectively enabled him to be to sit on the back burner uh, they they don't have to play well throughout the regular season I think they've proved that certainly over the last couple of years um, obviously before they had Durant they they could still do that anyway but Durant is the extra added you know the added edge and he has arguably been one of the biggest reasons they won the the last two finals 
quite easily um, was purely down to the fact that he hit clutch shots in both of those deciding games. If you're banking your your future on Kevin Durant, I think you need to be very confident in the fact that he's going to be happy and stay because he seems to be one of those guys who would quite easily throw everything out of the pram if he wasn't happy with what was going on. They have a new arena opening next year, which is obviously in the middle of San Francisco. Looks like a great location um, for an arena. If you're trying to sell tickets, then I can understand why you would prioritize Kevin Durant. But if you're trying to win and you want to keep yourself a little bit of flexibility, then surely having Draymond and removing the you know Durant from the equation would be a better option. You could probably have a lot more depth there like they did before. But if you can keep everybody, then surely that's got to be the only option. I mean, we've seen this before. But super teams, they don't really tend to last. Like, you look at the last one, which was probably Miami Heat. It all kind of fell apart in the end. Durant, uh, not, not Durant, sorry. LeBron kind of realized that it wasn't really going to work for him. Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade were perhaps the wrong age for him when he originally joined them. They had a couple of years on them. But by the time it got to the third third season, it was all all there and gone, really. And they're all th- third and fourth. Um, but I, I, I think that, Draymond is a fantastic player, but like Joe says, he does everything that you you know you want him to do. He does the dirty stuff that Durant doesn't do, and that is arguably more impactful on the overall course of the game. But yeah, it's just an odd one. I mean, are we really built? We're building this up. I mean, everybody's been going on about it, but I mean, the Warriors this season are zero and three when they score less than a hundred points. They've looked pretty woeful from from downtown. They've kind of relied on Quinn Cook and some of the other young guys to step up clay thompson seems a little bit distracted i mean i, I still think we're, we're kind of freaking out over over nothing here but if durant wants to go then fair enough i mean what does durant think his legacy is going to be if he leaves and goes and joins the knicks or somebody for example like does winning a title in new york prove to everybody that he may you know he's a he's one of the one of the greatest players of all time or has he kind of lost that from the fact that he decided to go and join those guys in the first place the thing is, though, if you get rid of Green, not only do you lose your defensive sort of eliteness in wife, well, yeah, I think you do lose it, but you have to you lose your attitude. Yeah, that as well. That I didn't even think of that. But you, you got to overhaul your offense as well. They, they don't drive into the paint. They run a lot of back screens. And if you've got like so, Demarcus Cousins is someone who I think we should mention in a minute. But if you've got Cousins at center, you can't run that back screen heavy offense because it's just a complete waste of someone with Cousins' physical capabilities. When you've got Green at centre, he can play five out, and if you there's space, so much space inside when you're the Warriors that you've just, you're have just you hitting those bat screens all day long. If you play with a more traditional centre, like if you watch the minutes Damian Jones plays, they don't really play the same way as they do when Green is there. Um, they're obviously, Cousins is good in different ways, but... For me, green just is one of the reasons it makes it so possible because you play small and then at the other end you've got that elite defense. And you know, th- let's be honest, they were they were uh, the best team in the league with Harrison Barnes there instead of Durant. You know, they now that they've got Durant, I kind of hate the way they've played in some of the postseason games. It's been like, you know, isolation. That, that's not the Warriors basketball that I have grown to love. I've you know, I'll always remember them the back screens, shooting from everywhere. It's just. I think they can honestly move on and be better without Kevin Durant. I think that comes from the fact that they feel like they have to share the minutes between Steph Curry and Durant and they have to share the ball between those two. It's, it's perfectly evident that you know one of them is more of a killer than the other. Like Steph Curry has hit more big shots during his career than Durant has and in bigger pressure situations as well, I'd, I'd say. Well, obviously Durant hit some in the finals, but 
Curry's bit. Curry's just completely changed the way every single team in this league looks at the NBA offense and has completely revolutionized how teams are, are, are scoring. And Durant won't will never really have that impact. Um, I don't know if he feels like he's in the shadow, but yeah, I I think they they'll be just as you know if 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 Draymond leaves, they'll be a great team. If Durant leaves, they'll be a great team. I c- completely forgot Demarcus Cousins was even around. Um, so you know, you add him into the equation, and everything could could be perfect for them. But I think they've got a new arena opening up. I think that's b- the biggest reason behind the fact that they are favouring, or at least publicly anyway, seem to be favouring Kevin Durant because he's the guy who's going to sell the tickets and and you know be the guy you want opening the arena. I mean, he's that silly post on LinkedIn with him, him with the shoes on. I don't I don't buy that. They sold out the Oracle before he arrived. They'll sell out if they carry on winning. Also, I'm going to take umbrage to this. You can't continuously whip Knicks fans into a deluded frenzy <laughs> by saying that Durant's going to arrive there and they're going to get a ring. That's, just, just leave them alone. They are a sensitive bunch. Um, this is November, though. Are we really worrying about this team? Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything to worry about. Yeah. I... I, I f- I think they're still going to win a ring, but it's just in terms of team building, I think, you know, the the question that, that sort of posed to me is that, you know, if it's one or the other, I'm picking green. I'm I'm still not worried about them. To be honest, they could like, you know, they could have a Gilbert Arenas like gun incident and I still think they'd win a ring. <laughs> That's two pods <laughs> recently you've brought that one up. <laughs> um, see, I get the tension that this whole situation is creating because if you look at it, it's kind of similar to the way that, that LeBron with the Cavs has, was in recent years, like that one foot out the door. And the fact that he's bolted on one team already that made him a franchise player, I get that there's a lack of trust about whether or not they can retain him. So I get that they're trying to sort of bend to his will. I, I don't know whether that's the right thing to do. Um, I love the, the, the reference to DeMarcus Cousins. I kind of feel like if Green were to go, DMC wouldn't actually be a bad... Um, it sounds really bad to have think of DeMarcus Cousins as being like a a, a plug-and-play for Draymond a Green. replacement, Because yeah. you, obviously he had a much higher ceiling. But this is a, a big guy who, who can't switch down as well as, as, as Green can. Um, but you, you're improving some athleticism. You, you've got another guy with great court vision, another guy who can handle the ball for a big and can shoot three, so he can still spread the floor. Um, but he just, again, this is a guy who's... The thing for Green, as Joe said, that separates him from everyone else is just that will to win, I don't care attitude. You know, no one else really has that. We don't see that around the league, and certainly not in winning situations. I I'm going to go as far as to say, if you look for another guy with that kind of attitude, it's going to be someone like John Wall, which Joe's going to throw stuff at me now, but it just manifests itself in a much darker way when that's a losing team, and it becomes a lot more petulant and, for want of a better word, shitty. Yeah, I'm waiting. Well, for I Joe. think it says. I think. I think it says a lot how uh, Clay Thompson and Durant have kind of failed to gel during the, these last few games when they've obviously played without Curry. Um, the one thing you could always guarantee with the Golden State Warriors when they had the Splash Bros in the backcourt was that they would just get on with it. Even if they did have bad shooting nights, they encouraged each other from the bench and they actively helped each other out on the court by you know spacing the floor and getting them the shots they needed. But Durant is such, he's an isolation-heavy player most of the time, so he just wants the ball and wants to be able to do everything himself. They have a decision to make in the season with regards to who they commit to, and I just cannot see them anywhere... like. You've, surely you have to keep Curry, Clay, 
Draymond, like those three guys together, because you know that works. That is proven. Like as good as Kevin Durant is, and I understand that he would be somebody who could power the franchise forward to new heights, and that's what he effectively did when he joined them. But you've still got a great basketball team either way. I mean, there's nothing really to complain about if you're a Warriors fan. Like it doesn't matter who you lose, you're still going to be one of the best teams in the league. You're still a team that everyone aspires to. I mean, you're still averaging the most assists. You're still shooting the best field goal percentage. You're still shooting the best three-point percentage. And this is with all your struggles. Um, so, yeah, there's, it, we're making a big deal out of nothing, really. I'm going to devil's advocate my earlier point, though. So if there are some who would choose Duran, I'm guessing the reason is is that, and this is something else I put in the slatch earlier, his game, I've got this theory, this is across all sports, by the way, that if your game is built on power and intensity... I mean, Green's a very intelligent player as well. But if that is what your game is, power, intensity, uh, physical, you're, I think your um, your prime doesn't last quite as long. Um, that's why I think Dirk Nowitzki is still in the league, because he's still got that sort of three-point shot, that defensive intelligence. But, you know, when... You could argue Green is already declining down from 39% from three to 21, I believe. Small sample size... But, I mean, when do you expect that decline to start coming? Is it going to be sudden or is it going to be something something gradual? Because that's sort of the only counter-argument against picking Durant that I've agreed with, that Green's prime is going to be very, very good. I mean, we're in it now. We're living it. It's fun. But it's going to be short-lived, I think. What do you guys think of that? I think his, his soon, the minute he starts to decline athletically, his defensive prowess is going to disappear as well because he's not the most athletic player by a long shot and so the minute that that starts that gap starts to to Im- increase it his his just it's just going to have a horrible effect on his efficiency so being able to get over and block shots that sort of thing if you're looking long term which they probably are prolonging this as long as possible you you'd have to say in my opinion that Durant's window for being elite is much greater than than Draymond's how much do you do you buy this? Well, he, you know, once the once LeBron goes, he's the best player in the league, and you have to keep him because he's the best player in the league. Well, I think I think Curry's the second best player in the league, so that's yeah. that's obviously one a lot of people are going to disagree with. I put it in other group chats and got got ripped for it, but it's like, yeah, I think regardless of how this goes, that for me they've got the second best player in the league, and and that gives you a chance. It, I, I, I get where they're coming from. Like Durant is obviously, if you're ranking all NBA players, he's bet he's higher than Green. Like I'm, <laughs> I don't even think like Draymond Green's mum would put him higher. But you, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't know Draymond's mum. But it's, but you know rosters, especially when you've got a guy like Steph Curry who is a superstar anyway and elevates everyone. It's about just the best fit. And for me, Green just just he brings. He he gives you more lineup possibilities than Kevin Durant does. That's my take on it. Can we look at the the, the sort of cap machinations of this for a minute as well? Because the roster, uh, the rosters, the Warriors at the minute have a under this year they have a hundred and forty five million six hundred ninety nine thousand five hundred twenty seven um, under contract against like a hundred and one million is the salary cap next year. It's reported to be a hundred nine million. So there's a jump of eight million. Uh, I'm going to do some quick maths in my head and it's not going to work very well at all. But uh, KD's on 30 this year. Steph's on 37. Steph's got a supermax. So KD's, if he if he signs next year, he's going to get a bump on 30 million. He, uh, he, was, he was guaranteed 31 
and a half million next year, but it's a player option. So let's say that bumps up to at least 35 when Steph would be on 40. Um, Clay's out of contract this year. He's on roughly 19 million. Do you think he's going to settle for anything under 30? And then we're looking at basically for, for an 8 million increase in salary cap, they're going to try and put another basically 25 to 30 million on that. Are they actually going to be able to afford to do this? Because they're going to be in... In in the super tax where you get in charged, I think it's I think it gets ridiculous as you get charged four dollars for every dollar you spend over a certain level. Like it starts off like one dollar you spend, so you spend a hundred million, and you or sorry, if you spend one hundred and two million, then you just cost yourself an extra million in in luxury tax. So when you get up to that sort of stupid money, it, it, it sort of becomes prohibitively expensive. They're not going to be able to afford to keep Clay Durant. And then next summer, Green comes up again for a contract renewal. He's on eighteen and a half million next year. At what point does this team um, self-combust because they simply cannot afford to pay people, let alone who they want to have there? Players only have a small earning window. Are they actually going to want to, you know, take discounts at this point? They're all going to be thirty odd. I think the I think the thing with the Warriors that I think a lot are overlooking they've drafted they've drafted very well in the last couple of drafts. I mean Jordan Bell who they acquired for the what was it called from Chicago? I can't financial considerations or some crap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jacob Evans, Patrick McCaw. They, I'm guessing that the Warriors really. I mean every team should trust their scouting anyway, without stating the obvious, but. It really depends on which of these rookies they've got, sorry, not rookies, which of these rookie contract players they've got that they believe in the most in terms of what they're going to do moving forward. And it also depends on how how willing their owner is to pay the luxury tax. So like the, the Heat owner, for example, Mickey Horizon, he doesn't give a crap about the luxury tax. He should, because if you look at their roster, um, it's not really a league leading roster, but it all comes down to ownership. Clay Bennett in um, Oklahoma City is the same as well. He's quite happy to pay over, but it's it's difficult to justify sometimes. And obviously, certainly with Green, he's gonna get more. If like if he went on the open market, he'd get more than eighteen million somewhere else, even if it's like a front loaded contract. So it's it, the the thing the Warriors can sell to people though that other teams can't. You're gonna win. You know, it's like I just think. There's always talk about how the Clippers are going to attract these guys, but you're going to go to the Clippers and build a winning team. Just so much has to kind of slot yeah. in for you. Well, the the added sell is Golden State. You're going to go to a you know, especially next year, you're going to go to a new arena. You're in San Francisco, one of the you know the best cities to live in in the states. You're going to get paid all this money. You're going to there's a great nightlife. You know, this one of the tech capitals of the world. Like there's. There's selling points to the Warriors now as well as being a great basketball team that help. I mean, that's why Kevin Durant and some of the other guys and Andre Iguodala, for God's sake, have gone out and invested in like local startup companies and started thinking about their life after basketball. I mean, luxury tax-wise, I'm not sure how much it would affect the, the Warriors because their last estimates were from February when they were worth $3.1 billion, which is the second... They are the third highest-ranked franchise in terms of value in the nba i think behind the knicks and the lakers um and that has only come on in the last what five years certainly since we've been doing this podcast it's the warriors have emerged as this superpower of world sports and most of that is down to the fact that steph curry has been healthy um so luxury tax wise i mean jerry bustle we said you have to pay it to win it so that's just down to an individual owners but 
if you've got a chance to keep everybody together, then you you probably should go for it because you have no idea how long this lasts. I mean, if they, if they stay together, they could win. They could be competing right up for the next ten years. Like it's they could be that good if they keep adding the right pieces and making the right decisions. Steve Kerr seems to have got a really good vibe out of this locker room. Um, obviously, the last couple of weeks have been a bit iffy, but if that's anything to go by, then we'll just they'll just blow over that. But I guess the one thing you kind of have to look at is Steph Curry only played 51 games in a regular season last year. He's only played 12 so far this year. Are these knee, knee problems kind of re-emerging the older he gets? I mean, what, is he 30 now? Is that something that you'd have to consider in your future if you were choosing Durant over, over Draymond, for example? So at the minute, he's out with hamstring injury. And yeah, yeah he's 30 now. Um, historically, it's been a lot of ankle issues. Um, yeah. Chris Paul springs to mind because he's been the bane of my fantasy team for. <laughs> I, I won't even pick him anymore because he puts up great stats. But the older he gets, the more and more his hamstrings just start popping on him. So maybe this this could be the start of of his deterioration as a player. Touch what it isn't. Touch what it isn't. Touch my desk. But, but I, I don't. I don't see this this team competing for ten years, as you said. Like I, it's, they, there's no way this team. I I think their window. If if it's not blown up this year and they've managed to keep the core, then we're only looking at a max of three years. And I think that's even a stretch. Max of three years, even with Durant and... Well, yeah, Durant coming into his, his moment. He's 32. Well, no, he's 30 as well, not 32. Um, <laughs> Clay's 28, Draymond's 28. They're all going to sort of peak and then start dropping off. Igudala, who's been absolutely instrumental, is already 34. Yeah. Sean Livingston's 33. DMC... 28 but coming off god knows what he's going to be like off the back of that achilles and then you just got urebko on 2.1 million and then everyone else the young guys is on 1.6 or under yeah and you don't really know what you're getting with them like they're getting increased minutes this season because of the injury situation well, but i think it's fair to say that none of them are going to be on the same level no. as curry durant thompson and green no, it's an interesting one. They've got a, a, a lot of decisions to, to make in the next couple of uh, couple of weeks. Um, the next couple of weeks? Months, even. <laughs> we get towards the end of the season already. Moving on, we'll go to, I guess we'll go to Philadelphia quickly. Um, Jimmy Butler and his general impact on the Sixers. Since he joined, they, they lost to the Orlando Magic. Uh, they beat the... Jazz. They beat the Jazz. Yes, thank you, Mike. They beat the Jazz the other night. Um They've been playing fairly well. I mean, defense was always going to be Butler's catalyst. I mean, he came out the other night after one of the wins and kind of made digs at Joe's Timberwolves and said he's got a group of guys there that can switch on a lot of different things. And they're guys you actually want to play with. They compete. They want to play defense. Um, so, yeah, he's been ruffling a few feathers, even though he's he's not in Minnesota anymore, which is standard Jimmy Butler. But, I mean, this team's in an interesting place at the moment because obviously Butler comes in, finally gives them that, that guy you can create his own offense and score with a ball, that's going to help them massively when it comes to the playoffs. When they play like the the Celtics and the Raptors, who've got Kawhi Leonard and Kyrie Irving, who can who can do that for them respectively. So now they can compete on that level. But what does this all mean to for the sort of evolution of Ben Simmons's game? Because I read earlier on that when this was like a an an unnamed NBA scout on CBS Sports. Um, I love that when he, scouts. Yeah, when he was evaluating um, Ben Simmons, and I believe it was Brandon Ingram in the same draft, he was picking Brandon Ingram because Brandon Ingram loved the game. He said he did not see the love for basketball from Simmons. He reversed on that decision and now says he's seen the love from Simmons in the last year. 
But whether Simmons has still got it in him to sort of develop his game is another question because like he's very good at what he does right now, driving to the rim, layups, you know, doing the the, the work inside. His perimeter game is nothing. I think we spoke about it in the last few podcasts. Like the teams are just leaving him there and not worrying about him. So how does Ben Simmons accept this situation where Jimmy Butler comes in and wants to be kind of the main ball handler and has had a lot of the ball? Obviously, Simmons has been playing point guard these last three games, and it's worked out fairly well for them. But they've got uh, there's still a lot of work. I mean, Simmons just can't really sort of stand still in the corner because he isn't a threat. He's going to have to come up with something else to do, whether that's he starts setting screens or he plays in the half court. How do you think Ben Simmons works alongside Jimmy Butler? This is a an interesting one we spoke about last week because um, I can see there being clashes yeah. because, for exactly the points you've raised. It would be good to see them implement more back cuts like the, the Portland offense do where they run through Nurkic and, and basically send the guards down. Although, <laughs> yeah, it would be good to see Simmons running because he can definitely score from within uh, two feet. Well, he's great in transition, but he's not really great when it kind of slows down. I, I still see him being the primary ball handler. And Butler's going to learn to play with him as as the secondary ball handler. They had that. Uh, there's some been some interesting sort of moments of connection between the two of them. They had an amazing alley oop play. Did you see that from about half court? And I didn't know how Butler even got up there and caught it. But I I think they can. I think Butler needs to take the the initiative here and say, this is Simmons's this offense to run because he doesn't he doesn't need it in his hands all the time. And he shouldn't want that if he's just if you know he's just come off a team where he's saying. I've got to swear again. You're going to have to get the bleep gun out. But he said, this shit has to stop when talking about Tibbs's minutes. Well, here's your chance for not only it to stop, but you lighten your load whilst you're on the court. Preserve that body that's had a surgically repaired knee. This is his chance. It's just whether he is is uh, not... Uh, what's the word? It's whether he's just can, can deal with that as a, as a professional player, taking that sort of pseudo step backwards. Yeah, well, we've seen we've seen sparks of it. I mean, the win against the Jazz on Friday and then the, the overtime win against the Hornets... He had eight assists in the first one, nine assists in the second one, and fully sort of embraced that point guard role. And we've never really, well, we've never seen a point guard like Ben Simmons. It, it's quite frankly frightening when you're watching him play. But the the length and athleticism that this team has, you've got obviously Ben Simmons, Wilson Chandler's pretty versatile, despite the fact he's had a fairly up and down career. Even Marco Fultz has been pretty good. He's very good at bullying people. Like He seems to be quite strong, um, considering sort of his, his lack of stature on the court but like they could be one of the best defenses in the nba by the time we get to the playoffs that could help them a lot but i just think at the moment certainly for these three games we've seen that this whole butler playing second fiddle is is going to be an interesting one to sort of keep an eye on throughout the whole season because you know even when he stretches out to the three-point line defenders just don't follow him um and he's gonna have to work out something there whether it means he uses the baseline a lot more to score his points i don't know I think the thing is with Butler and the difference between him in Philadelphia and in in Minnesota is that I don't think he trusted our ball handlers to sort of run the offense. I mean, Jeff T couldn't run a bath, and Andrew Wiggins, <laughs> and and you don't really want to trust Andrew Wiggins with his shot selection. But he he spoke to reporters. I believe it was after the Charlotte win, which was. It was whichever game they had where they connected for a bucket at the end of the game. I think it was the Charlotte game. And he said that, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, um, Ben Simmons knows Brett Brown's system better than me, so I'm going to let him run it. It's Whereas I think in Minnesota he felt, and trust me, this is true, if you, anyone's watched Minnesota over the last sort of year and a half, 
he had to run it because you can't trust the other players to not to not take horrendous shots. Actually, a guy he liked in um in Minnesota was Tyus Jones because Tyus Jones doesn't put up great box score stats, but he puts guys he puts guys in the positions they want the ball, and I think Simmons does that as well. That's certainly the vibe I've got. Uh, Butler's three point percentage is up again because the Sixers are better at using shooters than Minnesota are, but. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about the pairing for me, the offensive rating of the two has actually been really good. It's been 112, which, you know, when me and Timmy spoke about Philadelphia about two weeks ago, we spoke about how the offense just looked putrid, but they've played actually a lot better on that end since he's come in. But it's the it's the defense. It's up at 109.8, which is very surprising to me in 111 minutes together. And I've, I've kind of got this theory. So while the... The offensive rating has been good between Simmons and Butler. I don't think that, I don't know if you guys have watched the games, but the possessions have been quite ugly at times. It's been a lot of you know what we how we described Mello's game last week, like oh a jab step, another jab step, and he's going to shoot an eighteen footer. So it's I've got this theory that if you're taking shots like that, you're going to give away a lot of transition points because. I don't know, you've kind of got guys under the rim trying to collect these bad shots and you're just giving up open transition points, basically. But it's about in-game morale as well. If you're taking bad shots, it's not it's not smooth. It's And I, you know, I think that's the problem with teams like the Wizards this year. They're taking all these terrible shots. And at the other end, they're just getting shredded. So I, I think it will take time. But the, in, the, the positive sign for me is that Butler has played well with Redick. And I actually think that in terms of this... In terms of how far this team goes, it's more on the Butler Reddick pairing than the Butler Simmons pairing for offense for me. Yeah, those two look like they've been getting on really well, and it's obviously just coming in and playing with alongside another veteran, which I think is going to make a a massive difference to Jimmy Butler. I mean, one of the questions we got on uh, on Twitter this afternoon from Don Megasi, um he asked our Philly a top three team in the East, could they possibly beat? or best Boston and Toronto in the playoffs? I mean, they they should have been a top three team in the East coming into the season, but. They 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 robbed themselves of so much shooting that they weren't able to be. They're there or thereabouts. He's still chasing Toronto, and then I think you've got this next little cluster where Boston are still struggling to find their identity. The Bucks are just surging at the minute. They're just the way that uh, Bud has got them playing around Yanis with the whole basically spread the floor, let him go to work, and if you try and double, he'll just kick it out to Brook Lopez and he'll hit seven threes a game like he's Steph Curry. Um, <laughs> they they have the potential to be up there with them. They should be, by the end of the season, they should be a fourth seed. Um, I don't think they are at the minute, aren't they? Like the fifth or something? Uh, no, they are the fourth seed. Boston have dropped to the fifth, sorry. They could well be. They're right there or thereabouts. I think I think I know Indiana is second right now, but Indiana are another team who to me have looked ugly at times this year. I think they're better than Indiana, but for me my clear top two at this point is uh Toronto and Milwaukee. Not only just looking at Stan, but just looking at the way those teams are playing. They there's good ball movement, player movement, the offensive schemes are good. There's no there's none of these ugly possessions. And I think Interestingly, that second tier, they're all actually having the same problems. Indiana, Boston and Philadelphia are all very good defensive teams who offensively just seem to... I don't know really what they're lacking, whether it's outside shooting, whether it's a good offensive scheme, whether it's good ball movement. There's just... There's a lot of sort of isolation on those three teams and 
compare that to what Toronto and Milwaukee are doing. So I I think that if they're a top three team, it's going to be number three. I I can't see them breaching one or two. No, I'd agree. I think that there's some questions to ask of, of teams like the Bucks when they get to the playoffs. And obviously the Raptors always seem to have questions in the playoffs. But um, to do what they're doing with the depth they've got, the way Nick Nurse has got them playing, uh, they're doing some of these games without Kawhi Leonard as well. They've got it all going together. Um, Milwaukee, they are running everything through Giannis. There's a lot of questions popping up about when they get to the playoffs. Is that going to be enough? Like when other teams start putting four guys on him, is that going to be enough to stop him? But we've started, we've seen that throughout the regular season so far, so I'm not entirely sure the Bucks will have too much to worry about. It's just whether or not that shooting can continue throughout the rest of the season. Um, hopefully it will, because they're, they're a phenomenal team to watch right now, and Giannis is one of the best players in the league. The biggest question I have on the Sixers in terms of them being a top three team in the East, and the East overall seems to have been a lot more competitive this year, um, even looking at teams like Orlando, that they're they're winning games you don't really expect them to win. The Sixers don't have a lot of depth, and they gave away obviously a lot of depth in this trade. Uh, I mean, I know Saric had a bit of a up and down year, but Robert Covington was always a very very solid player for them. As Joe's now finding out, did you know everything you could possibly hope to do, hope him to do in that position. Great defender, great offensive threat as well. His offensive threat developed over the last couple of years, and that's a lot of that is credit to Brett Brown and the way they started utilizing him in the corners. Um, but now with the team they've got, I mean, just looking at the bench, I mean, is is Markel Fultz freaking you out? Is TJ McConnell freaking you out? There's not really anybody there who's I mean, your biggest threat is 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 got to be Redick, but. Yeah, I I don't think they'll they'll be a top three team. I mean, if if the, if they are, they're going to be the third. But I there's probably I well I'm trying to think of who would be better. Maybe the Pacers at the moment come the end of the season. We'll have to see what happens in Washington. What's going on there? Because they've said today that they're going to start moving moving pieces if it isn't all working out, and it's certainly not working out. But yeah, I I think they've got all of the pieces to be there. But maybe another couple of moves before the deadline to bring in some depth to sort of shake up that bench would would help them out a lot. The thing is, though, what are they giving up to get that depth? I mean, the the guy whose name's coming up a lot is actually, I think, a lot of teams... I think the Cavaliers are going to get raided at the trade deadline. You've got a lot of good shooters (laughs) there. But Kyle Korver, what what can Philadelphia give for Kyle Korver? As you just said, they're not going to give up a bench piece to get a bench piece. And I don't even think they've got anyone worth giving anyway, unless you're going to give... You know, maybe Corkmans, who actually has been pretty good since Butler yeah, he took over. Minutes. He does, yeah. They need to get rid of um, things to minimise Landry Shamit's minutes. But it's a question of what they're giving up. You know, it, you they're they're built for the future. But if you start giving up first round picks for guys like Rodney Hood, Kyle Corver, I mean, some even guys at Sacramento off their bench who are playing well, you kind of start. You you're in that. You're in that tough place then. I mean, something that a lot of people, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to him in a minute, but that Nemanja Bialica just re- uh, rejected them. That, I think that killed their off-season because he would have been so good for this team. Like, he's, you know, I, I know a lot about him, but I just, I don't know where they're, I think they're going to have to wait till the summer to build their bench. But obviously, when you've got Simmons and Embiid, you don't necessarily need to win now. But then it comes back to Butler. Butler wants to win now. If you're trading for Jimmy Butler... And certainly with his personality, he you know he wants to win immediately. You'll end up in a situation like the Knicks were when they went for Mello and they just started trading their draft picks left, right, and centre to bring as many people as they could into New York, and it completely backfired on them. Well, that's what we said last week. Is that they're now on the clock, 
this has brought forwards their success window by a number of years and it's a, in my opinion a, a shorter window too you mentioned Carl Corver a minute ago I, I can't see him being one of the answers because I don't think he'll be able to play at the same time as as Reddit because as great as they would both be at spreading the floor defensive liability just screams to me they, they need a two-way guy and I don't, I don't know who could fill that I think they need a playmaker personally I mean it's a good point there on Corver and Reddit neither of them are going to handle the ball and collapse a defense or sort of even drive and kick they're both occupying the same space I mean I really don't know who who they go after because there's just if teams have good backup guards not giving them away maybe they could go back to Minnesota and get Tyus Jones because Thibodeau just doesn't like him but there's, it, it's going to be very difficult for them because teams who have those good bench players, they're not going to give them away unless, as Matt said, you do in New York and you just start firing out first-round picks for Andrea Bagnani. <laughs> oh, dear, Bagnani. Yeah, well, those those Knicks moves stunk of desperation and it it really sort of hum, hamstrung the, the franchise for you know three or four years to the point where now they're kind of only really just recovering from that, but... If the situation in Washington is all up in the air, like you said, is there anybody on the Wizards that you think they could make a move for? I mean, if Fultz is not this guy that you you hope he's going to end up being and his free-frozen jump shot keeps being as weird as it is, do you like bail on him and see if you can get something somebody back for, for his his value? What what value? Like, he has no value. He's on a rookie contract <laughs> and he's got no, no... no. He doesn't bring anything. Is there the no upside there? Is that what you're no. saying? No, I mean, he, that's not... He looks like garbage right now. You know, I mean, I'm not... he, he, <laughs> <laughs> it's still really on in his career, and perhaps we shouldn't judge him based on the, you know, he's well, he's barely played thirty games, hasn't he? Total now because he sat out so much of last year. But he his he has no value in a trade at this minute. You would need to package no. him with someone else. Absolutely. Draft picks, yeah. And I, and I think the two pieces they could have packaged him with, they traded both of them to Minnesota because I mean those were. If you want to go for a guy like Bradley Beal, I don't think John Wall's a good fit on this team. You don't need another ball no, handler with a questionable no. jump shot. But you've got like Otto Porter and Bradley Beal. You know, it's a question. If, if I said a minute ago, I don't know if you guys agree that I don't think they've even got enough to get like a Rodney Hood or a Tyus Jones. They're not surely not going to have enough for a Bradley Beal. Yeah, you'd have to give up so much. We're talking multiple, multiple first round picks, and that, and you, yeah. you'd have to lose someone. Like obviously Embiid's not going anywhere neither Simmons neither Butler they've just arrived but they're going to have to mortgage someone like Reddick, who's only on a one year contract and is it one year contract he's, he's, so he's not going to bring much return either and then where are you going we're saying that one of the issues here is that they lack depth <laughs> I'm looking at the, the Wizards roster Bradley Beal is who you would want not going to get him Otto Porter a lot of money you've got to then try and send back and then you're looking down at well well Morris, Morris and Oubre Jr. would be fairly decent pieces to bring if you're just bringing them into the rotation off the bench but you're still going to have to give up something to get them Ubre on 3 mil I think that you're asking a lot for them to give up that Morris I think is more achievable so yeah what I mean by that is uh, Ubre's deal I think is a good deal they're not going to want to give that up quite quickly no no of um, course they're not but if the Wizards are in this situation where they feel like they need to blow it up then everybody's available according to Wodge today well, they've, they've got so many expirings this year. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys could walk from that roster this summer. Jeff Green. Woo! <laughs> Austin Rivers. 
Yam Mahimi is the answer to everyone's problem. <laughs> so, I think. So, yeah, I think. I think Philadelphia have have, have kind of hamstrung them a, a, a little bit. They're going to have cat room this summer, but a lot of that's going to go on re-signing Butler. And there's pretty. I think it's pretty soon. When's Embiid's rookie deal end? Because I think that's next summer. Maybe the summer after. It's got to be next summer. So then, the minute they start having to pay him money, the year after that, they've then got to pay Simmons money as well. So they're it's only really this window now where they can get someone back and have the cap space to do it. The whole injury debate with Embiid seems to have disappeared as well because last I looked, he was playing the most minutes. And yeah, he's clearly got himself back into a position where he's going to be a significant piece of the puzzle for the next 10 years. <laughs> well, as you'd hope. We said it a few times, like, if his, he's the kind of guy who, when he was going through all these injuries, we were like, oh, imagine what this guy could have been. I still don't think he's anywhere near his potential right now, but he is he's so good. One of the things I liked about um so it was it was Shams in the Athletic, uh, when he did a piece on Butler, it came out today. Butler holds no ill will towards his former young team Timberwolves running mates, Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. It was a combination of his contract <laughs> and an indifference towards the overall roster that made his t- trade request and his subsequent steps to force a move out of Minnesota so necessary. And then it follows with a quote, which is kind of like, feels to me like a bit of a subtweet. It was like, Ben Simmons uh, sees the game steps ahead and Joel Embiid is a monster inside. I read that and straight away I was just like, well, you haven't said it, but what you're basically saying is Wiggins doesn't know the game and Cat... <laughs> Is useless inside. Not that he's useless, but you know what I mean. He he ha- he's been he's not been as dominant. Yeah, he's not assertive enough. And yeah, I mean, even if that is a subtweet, I'm like he's he's correct. You know, there's a lot of Wolves fans wouldn't think, it, but he's absolutely correct in what he's saying. Yeah, they're very different. They're like the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to personality, aren't they? Those two. It's an interesting one. Moving on, finally, the uh, the Sacramento Kings and the whole Dave Yeager hot seat, which seemed to emerge on Saturday on social media, is that. The Kings and the, the Sacramento Kings organization are not happy with the way that Dave Yeager has handled the young talent on this team, and it could eventually lead to his dismissal, which is slightly ridiculous considering they are currently, what, 12th in the Western Conference, they're playing pretty well, they're at 500 at the moment. Um, admittedly, they've won a lot of those games in the clutch. I think six of those games they've won in the, in the last five minutes, so they've been a bit scrappy. But they are a very youth-heavy team, um, so it is not really surprising that it, they're having troubles fitting everybody in. I mean, you look at the the forwards they've got on that team; it's just ridiculous. Harry Giles is Harry Giles the third is there? Justin Jackson, Marvin Bagley, Scal. Like, there's there's so many players that they're trying to fit into these rotations, and it just it just isn't working. But the interesting thing that I spotted earlier on on Twitter was that when Fox healed. Belika and Corley Stein play they're plus 9.5 points per 100 possessions which puts them in the 91st percentile if you swap Belika out for Bagley who is the guy that everyone's saying he should be starting um, they're minus 8 points per 100 possessions which is a bit of a big difference this is the problem with with sort of hiring so coaches who so like I look at Brett Brown the process era he could have won he could have gone 2 and 80 and they weren't going to fire him because of the like the roster he had but Dave Yeager, I genuinely think he feels he needs to win games in order to sort of, in order to keep his job, and he's doing that. And Bielitcher, you know, the 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 thing, the the problem I've got, and the two guys I've got written down here are John Wall and Andrew Wiggins. Now those two guys for me are both. They have both got some very bad habits, and that is because they developed on perennial, perennially terrible teams. 
And I've all, I've differed on this because if you go and listen to a podcast two years ago, I was very much in the if you draft someone in the first round, you play them as many minutes as you can. <laughs> I've actually gone the opposite way now. I agree with what Dave Yeager is doing. Marvin Bagley has been terrible. Now he's a rookie. No, I didn't like the pick anyway, but that doesn't matter for this segment. But when he is off the court, they the Sacramento Kings defense per hundred possessions is actually pretty good. It sits at about it's 108. So that it's not great, but it's not bad. When he's on the court, it's down at 120. Now, when you've got a big like Willie Cauley-Stein, who is built on intensity, he's not got an outside shot, you do not pair him with Marvin Bagley, who has... Yeah, he's shooting 38%. It's also on one three-year games. That could easily fluctuate. That's just not, it's just not a good pair. And this all comes back to roster construction. They have about 19 centres. <laughs> very, very few of them have jump shots. It just, you can't, in 2018, you can't have that many big men without serviceable jumps. I'm sorry, you just can't. Some teams are going too far with the small ball, but for a team, yeah, for Sacramento, how how they expect Dave Yeager to fit Giles, Scal, Bagley, and Corley Stein to the rotation? I don't even think Greg Popovich could do it. <laughs> How, wh- wh- where does your floor spacing come from? And that doesn't even take into account the fact that De'Aaron Fox, their star guard, who looks very good, by the way, he's not a particularly great jump shooter. So if you put him on the court with Marvin Bagley and Willie Cauley-Stein, where's your spacing coming from? It's just poor roster construction, and it seems like they're going to throw the head coach under the bus for it. I, I, I don't get it at all. This is the first time since Mike Malone where I've actually kind of believed in a coach for this team. And they're just, it looks like they're going to throw it all away. I think they're taking over the crown that we gave the Pelicans a few years ago of the worst run organisation in the Western Conference because like, the Kings just seem to go one way one minute and another way another. It's been consistent. Like, you know, they've not been a good team in over te- like a really good team in over 10 years, which is saying a lot. I mean, I know they're in the Western Conference, but they consistently hit and miss on high draft picks. They make funny trades. They sign veterans in the off-season for no real reason. It, it just hasn't worked out, which is a real shame because they have some fantastic players. Like Bogdanovich is a heck of a player. Scalabizier has got all the talents to be one of the big forces in the future. Darren Fox has been... You know, he's so quick. It is, it's unbelievable. Um, and they, they've got a real good roster there that is... I think there's only three guys or two guys that were born in the 80s, which is going to make a lot of people feel old. But... Um, that just speaks to the youth and the direction that they are in at the moment. So kind of going out and attacking a coach for struggling to fit a lot of young players in is a bit ridiculous. I, I This is a weird one for me. So they were 8-7, and seven, now 8-8. Eight and eight. When they were 8-7, and seven, it was only the second time since 2006, or it might have been, they've only been two other times since 2006, when they'd started a season that well. And I put that <laughs> well in air quotes because... Eight and seven is not really that well. They're two, they're two in five over the last seven games. There's there's this talk that Jaeger's in in win now mode. I think that's quite short sighted, given that win now is five hundred. It's just ridiculous to me. I I don't see the benefit in tanking with this team, as in uh, running the rookies out, and it doesn't matter because Boston via Philadelphia have their pick because there's a, a pick swap basically if. Philly have if Philly's own pick is is better, 
then then uh, Boston, Boston basically get the pick. And it's all down to when um, they sacked off Stauskas in about 2015, I want to say. Um, and it, So they've got no incentive not to tank. So why aren't they just going out there and entertaining what has been a diehard fan base, turning up for an absolute... I'm almost going to swear again. I need that bleep button from last week. But an absolute expletive storm that has been this franchise basically since uh, Chris Webber was there. This basically team... since they were rigged in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, basically since your Lakers had had it fixed for them to get through. Like, so far this season, they have been impressive, but let's not make any mistakes. This is not a good team. They're fun no. to watch. They are not good. Why are you hounding your coach for winning games? It's just like, what are you paying him to do? Why are you even playing basketball? <laughs> yeah, it, this is classic Vivek Ronda Dive stuff, isn't it? This is like... Oh, we're gonna um, we're gonna leave one player at the other end of the floor and just cherry pick everything. Uh, <laughs> Buddy Heald is the next Steph Curry. It's this kind of madness. And like, they look even, pretty good. Even the games they've <laughs> won, he's all right on a five hundred team that are playing better than they should be doing. That's it. He's not he's not a game changer. A uh, Darren Fox, I can get on board with. I think actually he's a very good player. But if you look at the games they've won. This year, they beat the Thunder, who are in the middle of a seven-game slump. They beat the Grizzlies. Fair enough, you can have that. They beat the Wizards. Brilliant. There's another <laughs> storm for you. They beat the Heat on the road. Okay, that's a bit more difficult, but let's face it, the Heat aren't anything special. They beat the Magic and the Hawks. Whoop-de-doo. They beat the Timberwolves in the middle of their self-destructive Jimmy Butler, Diva, wants-to-be-out-of-here phase. And then they beat the Spurs. Fair enough, you can have that. So that's three decent wins by my count the rest of it is just it's just a well done you didn't lose it's let's not get into this too much where we're like this this king's team are good we're talking about the kings for crying out loud this is this, how often does that happen on the pod i remember in the preview thing this before the season started it was like they're the kings they're they're gonna do stupid stuff it, yeah what is there to talk about they are fun to watch but they are run terribly do you know how many assistant gms vladi divac has three Three. Three. Who needs three assistant GMs? <laughs> it's it that to me just smacks of the disorganization. Like one of them's Pager Stoyakovich and he's just scouting and stuff. Fine. I get that, because Page has been grandfathered into that for his contributions on the court. Get that. They then got Ken Cantonella and Brandon Williams. And apparently it's Brandon Williams who's doing who's causing all this this mess about Bagley and he's like a massive Bagley fan and he's overhauled the roster. He's really trying to make his stamp on the franchise. Just leave it alone, mate. Yeah, and chill out. Bagley's 19 years old, for yeah. God's sake. But, but <laughs> he's still... If Bagley was playing like six minutes a night, I'd understand. He's playing 23 minutes a night, and they're not good yeah. minutes. They're not good minutes. He's a terrible defender who he can't post up at all. He just doesn't move the guys on the block. He's a decent mid-range shooter. whoop de do. No, no, no one other than Greg Popovich cares about mid-range anymore. <laughs> he, he doesn't get to the line at high rate. He doesn't get any assists. He doesn't. Yeah, he's averaging one block a game, but if, I don't really care about blocks in that way because if if you've got a defensive rating of one hundred and twenty, I don't care if you've got one block. That doesn't redeem you. Dave Yeager is doing the right thing. There are so many young players across the league who have just developed terrible habits because. They've been playing on 20-win teams. No one's been holding them to account. No one's been making them earn their minutes. And 
you know, I think Nemanja Bialica is really good for this team. He improves the guys, he improves their young backcourt, which I'm with Mike. I think it's a promising backcourt. I don't think it's going to be a sort of, they're never going to be a top four seed with this backcourt. But it, 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 it just, how, how you can get this animated um, as a front office over Marvin Bagley, is it just amazes me. If it was Luka Doncic, I'd understand. It's Mar- I feel like I'm slandering him here, but it, it's Marvin Bagley. The, the only reason they picked him is because he said, I want to be there. Who the hell cares? You, you, when you're drafting a rookie, you're a crap team, so they probably don't want to go and play for you. They probably do want to go and play for the San Antonio Spurs, but you make them want to be there. It's just... Oh, the, the, when this re- before this report came out, I was like, "Oh, the Kings! You know what? They're doing some good stuff." Now this has come out. I've just thought, "What, what the hell are they doing? This is Mike Malone all over again?" Like we've slandered Mike Malone on here, but now he would be considered one of the better coaches in the league, and they threw him away for just no reason. I just, I don't get what they expect. You've got nine centers, and that's not including the fact they drafted Papa Giannis in the first round a couple of years ago. Like oh my god, it it just frustrates me. So what do they expect? They're eight and seven. That's good. That's that's pretty good for the roster. It's a young team. Just a philosophical battle. It's just absolute rubbish. And do you know what, do you know what's also interesting is that Jaeger has has clearly like changed and evolved from last season. We said in the preview pod how crap their pace was last season, and like I know that pace doesn't tra- translate into playing well but when you have a young team you should be able to move they were one of the worst ranked for pace last year now they're one in fast break points now exactly they're up there one of the key reasons for that is that they're after averaging 14.5 points and 6.7 rebounds last year for the kings which is a fairly decent haul they realize that maybe zach randolph isn't the answer and he's not playing anymore and that like that's that's a horrific you know end to a, a pretty solid career like the guy's 36 he's been in the league for oh my god he's been in the league like this is his 17th season but they made like a tough choice putting down and putting down i made it sound like an old dog um but, like moving on from a guy who is not only like was a great player but it's a great role model in the team they, they've just kind of just let him be he's out the rotation they're going with what what they've got that's a huge philosophical change and that's a pretty big thing because I wouldn't like to turn around to Zach Randolph and say, "Sorry, mate, you're not playing anymore," because he'd probably rip my head off. Um, <laughs> it just—I don't—I I just think he's making the adjustments, he's making this team better, and he's getting—he's getting it in the neck, and it just doesn't seem fair. Yeah, he's using the roster's strengths to their advantage so far this season. I mean. There's a lot of tall guys, lengthy, athletic guys on this team. They're young, so it's no surprise they're they're ranked fourth in points in the paint per game. They're a pretty good, pretty efficient three-point shooting team. They don't shoot very many. I think it's around 27 a game, but they're shooting that at around 37%, which is, you know, above the Spurs and tied with the Pacers. So they're they're playing pretty they're playing good modern NBA basketball, like that whole theory that um, Daryl Morey's got about you either take threes or you score in the paint. Like they, that's what you do. So they're they're basically doing that. Whether their run of form will last, I mean, like I said, they've played uh, is it nine games that have come down to the final five minutes this season in, the, in what the NBA classes as clutch the clutch period, and they've won six of those. So they're playing. They're in close matchups. 
Um, I'd expect them to start losing them the, the the longer the season gets and the more the other teams need to start winning games, especially in the West where these seedings are going to be absolutely critical come the end of the come the end of the year. But um, yeah, the Kings are are all over the place. Anyway, because this has gone on for a while, we've got our game of the weeks to go through. Um, Mike Miller, what's your game of the week? My game of the week. I tweeted it out earlier. Five p.m. UK time. Five p.m. <laughs> Leave work early. You're lying. I don't believe you. <laughs> this is this is why I like Thanksgiving. 5 p.m. Uh, it's not the best teams in the world, Joe. I'm sorry. Um, it's Minnesota, Brooklyn, and it'll be on Sky. Hopefully it won't go to overtime. You get to see the whole game. Um, but for that reason, for the fact it is at 5 p.m., I can't stress this enough, it's almost still light at 5 p.m. <laughs> I'm taking that game. Joe Hobbit. Yeah, that, that is a good choice. Two teams who get out and run and shoot a lot of threes. I've got Bucks Blazers on Wednesday night, I think. It's at 1am. Uh, the Blazers gave them a bit of a good seeing to last time. So they did. I think there's revenge on the cards. but that is... CJ had 40, I think, in that game. Yeah, it was a great game, the first one. I imagine this one will be the same. Uh, Bucks will want to prove a point, and Blazers have surprised everyone, so I'm going with that one. Fabulous. I've got a half a Friday night game, uh, also in line with the Thanksgiving. It's Los Angeles Clippers versus the Memphis Grizzlies, um, which doesn't sound like it would be anything thrilling. But at the moment, that's the second seed versus the third seed in the Western Conference. Um, so that, that's certainly one to watch. Bear in mind, we're recording this Monday, so both teams are currently 10-5. and five. Could have changed by the time we get to Friday. Um, but they're both very good teams. Uh, we've got the Mike Conley... Uh, Gasol resurgence going on over there, which is fantastic to watch. There's some young guys. They're finally playing. You know, grit and grind is back, and it and it's working. They beat down on the on the Timberwolves the other night, 100 to 87, and that's kind of stopped the, their big run. But they're playing well, and then the Clippers, which is this roster of absolutely nobodies, is is coming out and balling every night. But because they're in a roster of nobodies, they are passing the ball, and they are a real joy to watch. The only thing that winds me up is because this is a home game, which means it's at the Staples Center. If you're watching on League Pass, you're going to get that bloody annoying feed that the Clippers have, uh, and that does my head in. So unfortunately, that. So just switch to the Grizzlies one, and you'll be a lot happier. I cannot stand the the the, the Clippers team, the, like their commentary team. The commentary. Just, there is so many commentary teams I can't stand because they're so just ridiculously biased. It's just... Houston's are the worst. My God. Oh man. <laughs> Like oh, they'll go in and be a blatant foul, and it's like, nah, no, he didn't, he didn't touch him at all. Um, oh, and the replay, nah, no, he still didn't. T- you can clearly see he's drawn blood for crying out loud. You can see it. He's like ripped his arm open. No, no, no touch. No, no. Well, if you're watching the Clippers on a Friday night, you get to watch the resurgence of Danilo Gallinari, which, as a European basketball fan, is fantastic to watch. You've got Boban in there, who last week on NBA on TNT got given a seal of approval from Shaquille O'Neal himself as a guy who can never be on Shaq in the full, who's apparently immune to it. Um, and this guy doesn't even need to jump to dunk. <laughs> yeah, so we got some you've good got... Boban love last year, uh, last year, last week from Hugh. And there's obviously all the storylines with the Clippers about setting themselves up for the future and a new arena and Kawhi Leonard and another star. We'll, we'll see. But yeah, the Clippers-Grizzlies, which is a game I never thought I'd ever say would be my game of the week, but I'm going for it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really like interesting um, spread of games that we've got there. Actually, it is. We've got like we've got superstars with Giannis, and then we go all the way down to Montrez Harrell. <laughs> Montrez Harrell is a beast. He's a pretty good player. He's like uh, Kenneth Fareed light. 
but from six years ago. <laughs> Um, obviously, we've briefly touched upon it, but as we've kind of been recording this in the hour before we started, um, all the news broke about the Wizards wanting to uh, to make their moves. We've discussed that briefly. I think one of the questions that Don Mega C sent us was, should the Wizards be blown up? I just want a one-word answer from both of you for that. Mike? Okay. And uh, Joe? Yeah, get it done. <laughs> get it done. Um, so, yeah, that'll probably all develop over the next coming days. But um, Shams is tweeting at the moment saying there's been altercations in the locker room and stuff that is all now coming out that has been kept private. So maybe that's justification for making a big move in the coming uh, week. But we'll obviously keep you up to date on doubleclutch.uk, on the Twitter feed at doubleclutch.uk. If you listen to the podcast and you enjoy our ramblings, please do let us know and uh, review us on iTunes or whatever it is that you use. We're obviously on Spotify now. Mike, is there anything you want to say? Do you want to give everyone your Twitter, Twitter handles while you're here, actually? Um, yeah, why not? Mine's Mike Miller underscore time. Uh, anything I want to say? Uh, go and read Hugh Hopkins' latest article about the uh, keeping <laughs> conferences around. And Which you disagree it, with. Then completely destroy it with me because it's wrong. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> No, I, I, it was a good a good article, some interesting arguments, uh, which I do not agree with, but it was uh, an argument well made. Mr. Holbert, what is your Twitter feed? Twitter handle is at Holbert Joe, and my only thing is fire, fire fibs. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> I would just say check out Joe's Twitter feed for some crazily good breakdowns of games throughout the week, because like, as someone who is... This sounds really, really lame, but as someone who's grown up with you in the last like five years doing Aww. this pod, seeing that stuff <laughs> is just unbelievable, man. It's, it's, it's impressive. Thank you. Um, speaking about the website, actually, we did revamp the homepage the other day, uh, so please go and check that out. We're trying to bring it more in line with the fact that we've got some fantastic people producing content this year. Timmy's been on the pods. Hugh's been on the pods. Josh has got some something very special coming up for you this week. Everyone's been doing all kinds of stuff behind the scenes. So yeah, we just thought we'd revamp it and make it look a bit more fresh so that you, the second you go on our site now, um, you can see whatever the latest posts are and some of the others. And yeah, we're, we're trying to make ourselves a little bit unique and I think it's, it's standing out so far this year. Yeah, good job on it. Well done. You, you, thank you, 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 thank you very much. <laughs> Self-pat. Self-pat, yeah. Anyway, enjoy the games, guys, and we will catch you next uh, Tuesday. Good night. <laughs>